After 25 years in the fashion industry, I've realized that fashion is not really about the clothes, it's about the people. I'm Laura Van Root Poole, and this is What We Wore. Sitting down with Marie Helinda Tayak is always an incredible experience, and I asked her to come back on the podcast to share more on the power of stones and spirituality. I hope you're able to feel the way she channels beauty through her words and her craft during this episode. Marie Lynn, I was telling you, we've had so much feedback and people have loved um, our first conversation many years ago. Really, it was probably four years ago. I think even more. Maybe, yeah. It's maybe. when my book came out in 2019, I imagine. Really? Yes. Yeah. I remember well, we had, last time. I, it's one of our most listened <laughs> episodes, and you're really nice to come. I could talk to me again. I'm glad I didn't scare you away too much. Thank you for coming here to Charlotte, and thank you for that beautiful supper last night. We had such a nice time with the jewels and with all of your clients. It was really beautiful. Oh, thank you. I always love the way you do the the dinners. It's so beautiful. <laughs> thank it's you. It's always very refined and uh, sophisticated. I think it's amazing to see. We we know that you're coming from a place that's not the South, and so we try to serve a little bit of a Southern meal. And it, 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 it's been received either way, but you're always really appreciative of it. You like the fried chicken, I think. <laughs> yeah, actually. Yeah. Also, I love eating uh, the food from the country where yeah. I'm visiting. It's much more interesting. Yeah. But I, l- I always like the way you put things together. I, I think the most important thing in life is harmony. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I come to uh, to your place, what I love is the way you're creating harmony beyond the way the lady dress mm-hmm. and also beyond the, the space. Uh, the, the energy of harmony is peaceful mm-hmm. and it makes people calm down. And I think we need to, I mean, we, the talent that we have, uh, I, I suppose you and I, is, is to bring beauty to this world and to create harmony to make it the world more, uh, less crazy. Yeah. And it's very important we do it, even so it seems so futile because it's only clothing or it's yeah. only jewelry still it it brings something to people yeah thank you i you i know you do that for me for sure <laughs> uh, i always remember cocteau you know jean cocteau mm-hmm. who i love the yeah. uh he's he has um he said that uh, the 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 privilege of beauty are, are immense, are huge, um, and they touch people who, do, who are not even aware of it. And I think such an interesting thing to to understand because, you know, we, we could think that what we do uh, is, you know, is not so meaningful, mm-hmm. but in fact it is because anything that brings beauty touch people to their heart. Mm-hmm. And this is what I feel about the stones. We remind the listeners where you're from and where you grew up. You have such an interesting childhood. And I think it really did bring you on a journey to where you are now. Yes. Uh, so I was born in Libya uh, in 1964. I don't have memory of, of Libya because I must have left. I was age two. I was brought up by an Italian nanny also. <laughs> I think that's influenced my taste in food. <laughs> but um, my place in India is very similar to what you uh, the place I used to live in Libya. Really? So it's full of pink bougainvilliers and those mm-hmm. terraces, a whitewash, you know, the big sun. So, so then we went uh, after Libya. Uh, we lived in Beirut, which at the time was the most amazing place. It was supposed to be the Saint Tropez of, of that part of the world, and 
We were very lucky. We were going to, okay, the three sisters were going to the Collège Protestant Français. And it was, you know, with our little uniform. Actually, we would hike up the uniform because it was a fashion of a miniskirt at the time. <laughs> and my mother was um, a very glamorous. You know, she was a bit like uh, between Anoukeme and Jackie uh, Onesis. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. Very beautiful. And she would get dressed up every night. And I think that, you know, I don't know if your mother was the same, but I think that's how we learned dressing up because she would tell us, so what should I wear tonight? And she lived, she had the hairdresser because at the time, you remember, we, the woman were wearing chignon. She yeah. had the hairdresser coming every night. She lived in the same building to do her hair. I love that. So that was quite like, you know, I think uh, very glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, we, when we left Beirut, we, we had to leave because of the war. And, you know, I think that was something which uh, I didn't realize the impact that it had on me. But I think it was really, uh, really terrible. But we left in June uh, when the school was over and the war had already started. And we thought we'd come back in October. <laughs> and they stole, uh, okay, the, of course, the apartment was broken down. And, uh, you know, they took all my mother's evening dresses. <laughs> it's so bizarre. <laughs> I mean, you think it's a war. But they took all the evening dresses. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Even so, back, and that yeah. was in the... 75, I think, okay. the war started. Was it 70? Yeah, I think it was 75. And then you came yeah. back to Paris? Or? Then we came back. I had the first, uh, we came back. We were in the countryside in the southwest of France with my grandparents. And we went to this uh, school. Um, and it was, you know, I'd never, uh, I'd never felt winter. <laughs> and it was so bizarre. I, you know, you go, I was always raised up in hot countries. That's why I love India, because it's hot. <laughs> so no winter. And then also we, we just didn't fit. And I think for my sister, who was two years older than me, it was very traumatic because she, um, uh, we were just out of place. It was like two little princesses, you know, we like very <laughs> with like little pretty dresses and, and like all the country kids. Yeah. Yeah. It was so bizarre. So the, the headmaster wanted to see my mother and she said, you can't keep the kids here. You know, it's just, it's not for them. <laughs> and so and, where did you go? And then we moved to Paris. Yeah. 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 And what was I, it like living with your grandparents? Had you known them? You'd come in the oh, summers I love, to see them? Uh, yeah, yeah. I love living with my grandparents and it was, a, you know, it was amazing time. And, and, you know, and I think it was nice for my mother to be with her parents and everything. And no, no, that part we love, but the school, we're like completely misplaced. <laughs> yeah. We just, you know. Just no. And then we moved to Paris and, and it was Paris in the late seventies. Okay. Still very glamorous. Mm. And, uh, you know, I was very lucky to be able to go out and see all the beautiful. I mean, like the, when I see the image actually on Instagram, I don't know if you follow the palace mm, on Instagram, no, you should. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I was, uh, I was very naughty. I would you know, climb out of my window <laughs> age 16, every parent's nightmare <laughs> and, and go to the bandouche and go to the palace. But, uh, it was very glamorous at the time. Yeah. And there was no cell phone. So people were, um, let's say they would really go and have a good time. But I was so lucky. I saw, um, Prince, you know, and he was, I mean, at the palace, they had the most amazing concert. Yeah. And, and all those famous people that, you know, they were not so famous sure. yet. And I got to see them because I was, you know, because I was climbing out of my window. <laughs> but there was a lot of people from that time that I still know uh, yeah. and see. And if you look at the images, the amount of glamour of that time is amazing, you know. Uh, 
your store ended up being on Rue de Tournon, which is where, the, wasn't it the Saint Laurent flagship was there? Yeah, the Saint Laurent was uh, Rue Tournon, but there was also Walter Steiger. Do you remember oh, Walter yeah. Steiger? Yes. Which was designed by Karl Lagerfeld. Yeah. And I used to love the shoes, so yeah. I would save up so I could buy a pair of shoes from there. And there was Tan Goodicelli. Do you remember Tan Goodicelli? Mm -hmm. Tan, you would have loved his dress. He would make such a glamorous evening wear. Mm -hmm. So he had his shop and Micmac. Micmac was probably one of the first ready-to-wear collection. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, mean, I don't think I'm that old, but there was not so much ready-to-wear for, yeah. for, for younger generation. No. That's why Agnes B., yeah. Agnes B. was such a success because it was the equivalent of the French gap in a way. Right. Uh, I had to go to the dressmaker to get a sing stitch <laughs> or I would buy vintage because there was no, yeah. th there was nothing for our age. You yeah. Know? I'm a little bit younger, but for me, it was um, Naf Naf and Cacherelle. Yes. Cacherelle. Cacherelle was, just, oh Cacherelle was wonderful. Oh, Cacherelle was wonderful. Yeah. I, it yeah, was like yeah, yeah. everything to yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> I went from Cacherelle to Laura Ashley, which yeah. is sort of the same thing. The oh, French. I had Laura Ashley, but it wasn't my best period. <laughs> <laughs> but that was before because we had the Laura Ashley houses also. Right. You remember? So we would match the wallpaper and the fabric. <laughs> exactly. oh. We would blend in. I have a picture of me at age. I think 13. Yeah. It's just not my best look. My bedroom is still fully right. Laura Ashley at my yes. parents' house. Yeah. You, yeah. you saved it? That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, my parents haven't changed it. Yeah. Because I mean, it actually is really modern. I mean, it looks, you know, it looks beautiful. My bedroom in the countryside is still Laura Ashley. It is really? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so but the bedroom is too small because I was, you know, so I shifted to another one, but it's still like the <laughs> wallpaper oh, and a different print for the, you know, the, the, the bed and another print for the curtain. That's so clever. I, it's such a shame actually this brand disappeared. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. Did your mother wear jewels in growing up in Lebanon? My grandmother wore jewelry. My grandmother was very attached to jewelry, so I would always uh, see more jewelry than my mother. But my mother took us, I think one of my first experience of jewelry was going to the uh, to a market in Beirut where you had all the jewelers and she must have had a stone that she or an old right. ring that she wanted to reset. So we went to the jeweler and the jeweler gave my sister and I uh, a small sapphire and a small ruby. Oh. I mean, they were so small that we lost them right, right. away. <laughs> but that is my first experience of, uh, you know, having precious stones in my hand and I loved it. Oh. That and also my parents came back from um, Iran and at the time the Shah was still there. And uh, my they had brought me, they had brought all the postcard of the treasure of uh, of the Shah. Yeah. And to this day, I remember the crown of Faradiba. Yeah. And I remember all those jewels. And I remember I made an expose, uh, you know, I had a presentation about uh, yeah. uh, their, their jewelry. And that was one of the first memories, you know, like the pearls and the big emerald and the sapphires. And, and I was fascinated. When did it occur to you that you could do this for for a job for a for a lifetime? It didn't occur to me because sometimes things occur to other to the people around you before you know about <laughs> it. Okay, when I was seventeen, I, I sort of doing the GIA in New York. Mm -hmm. I I mean I spoke English because I'd been to English boarding school too, but uh, I want you know there's a lot of technical terms, so I thought okay I'm going to go to London, mm -hmm. and uh, you know spend one year in London to improve my English, then I will go to the GIA. 
And in fact, uh, London was an amazing time because it was a time of uh, um, the new romantic, uh, Boy George. Uh, <laughs> there was also at the time the, all the fashion show. It was the beginning of the London Fashion Week. Yeah. Do you remember the Buffalo Boys? No, you yeah, probably yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah. Ray Petri. Yeah. I mean, uh, there was all this clique, uh, Tom Dixon, yeah. uh, all this clique of interesting people who were my friends. And I just, uh, instead of going to the English classes, I got a job at Butler and Wilson. Mm-hmm. which was a jeweler, which was really hip at the time because Nikki Butler had a uh-huh. amazing friends, you know. And I started working there uh, as a first uh, as a salesperson. And then uh, uh, very soon, uh, Nikki said I could do the PR. So I was um, age um, 18, working with all my generation because in, in uh, England, all the fashion stylists were very, very young. Mm-hmm. And I was working with Hamish, who was working yeah. for the Australian uh, 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 Vogue at the time. Yeah. I was working with, with uh, Joe McKenna. I was working, you know, all that generation of amazing stylists yeah. who eventually moved to New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew them from that time at uh, Butler and Wilson. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that that time I stayed in England for 10 years and I worked in the fashion industry and I learned a lot. I also worked a little bit for John Galliano. Mm-hmm. I worked for Richard James, but it was really an exciting time um, in, in the UK for fashion and for creative people. And were stones always sort of in it, in the mix? At that time, uh, no, stone were not so much there. I mean, Butler and Wilson, I must have stayed uh, two years and it was costume jewelry and I learned again a lot, you know, touching jewelry. I think it was when I worked for Philip Tracy, the Mm. milliner. Philip was a little younger than me, but he was so passionate about hats. And I would come in in the morning and I would see what he had created overnight. And I would see that he was so, you know, he would live and breathe for his hat. And I was like, I don't want to have the Sunday night blues. I want to do a job. (laughs) That I that I really love, and this is when I actually uh, I quit my job and I thought, okay, I'm going to go and really uh, travel and see what I really want to do. It was the first and, stop, Jaipur. And <laughs> uh, the first stop, I, yeah, first stop was India for sure. I'd yeah. been to India before, uh-huh. uh, but it wasn't that that trip that I actually met uh, uh, the Jam Palace, who I uh, still yeah. work with. But I I, I I tried to do some jewelry in Indonesia, but I was not convinced with the quality. Yeah. It's only when I went back to Jaipur maybe a year later, and I walked into the Jam Palace stone cutting room, mm-hmm. which you you've oh. been to it, which is this, uh, yeah. you know, uh, everyone is working on the floor and. And there's like bags and bags of rough stone <laughs> that I thought, oh my God, this is such a dream. This is what I want to be. Yeah. And I designed a small collection for uh, which I thought they would be jewelry for myself, uh, maybe a collection of 20 pieces. Uh-huh. And I showed it when I came back to my friend, uh, the designer, Lucien Pellafine, yes. which was called the King of Kashmir at yes, the time. Yes. And he said, I love what you did. And we have to show, you have to show it at Fashion Week. Mm-hmm. And I showed it at the Fashion Week that time. I, my first, uh, I had two appointments. I had an appointment with Bergdorf and one with Barneys. And at the time, I was very lucky that Judy Collinson was still, yeah. that was her, the Jew department was her baby. Mm-hmm. And she saw the collection and she said, I loved it. And my first order was $150,000. Wow. And I thought, okay, if I have to work, if I have to do my, I have to be in India to do it. Right. I was going to say, you had to move straight yeah. back and do that. And I remember when I went back and I worked on my order, I had done a small necklace with tiny little beads and all the beads were a different color. And uh, uh, Munuka, from the Jam Palace said, you know, 
are you sure you want to sit and choose every stone? And I'm like, actually, Munu, I think this is what I love to do. And, uh, you know, and already I had started and I was sitting on my little table because it's like doing a painting. You know, you yeah. have all the stones outside of you, yeah. uh, around you, and you choose and you mix the color. And every stone, when you choose a stone, you have to make sure that it makes the one next to it looking more beautiful. Yeah. Because for me, the treasure of nature, there's nothing more beautiful than what nature makes. Yeah. And the stone, if you think about stone, most of the stone and you know, when you're like walking on the beach or anywhere, they are brown. So when you see a stone which has a color, it's a miracle. Yeah, it's a miracle. And so you're like surrounded by all this miracle from nature and you have to make sure that you don't, uh, you, you are respectful to them. So I always, you know, I, I, there's never an answer when you make a necklace or when you make multicolor because it's, you know, my, it's your choice. You know. But still, you have to make sure that you respect every stone and make it more beautiful. I, th I think about Patrick Blanc, actually, that he said his walls are patented and his um, he's a botanist. And, he, you know, you wonder why are his walls more important than someone else's other than he's a complete genius. But he always said it was because his job and his gift was to choose what plant uh, complemented the one below it and above it and next to it. And I always love that idea. It's exactly the right word, compliment. This is what I try to do yeah. with a stone. I, I think it's so important to, to compliment, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, whatever you put next to it. That and also the intention that you put when you do things. And that's why I love jewelry, which is made by hand because, and, and, and I love all jewelry because it has a soul. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, for something to be good, it has to have all the right ingredients. And if everybody loves what they do, then the person who wears it feels that energy. Yeah. So with a stone, definitely. So uh, and, and I think with Patrick's work, it's the same. It's a work of love. Yes. It has to be a work of love. An obsession. <laughs> An obsession, for sure. <laughs> and whenever I, I will, I, you know, whenever I, I'm not in the right frame of mind, I will never touch a stone. Really? Yeah. Because I'm feeling that, I, you know, if I'm sad and I'm working on a stone, the person who's going to have that piece of jewelry, they won't know, but maybe they'll feel sad. Yeah. I don't want to, I, I want to give joy, you know, yeah. I want to give happiness. I think that's important. You know, we don't need jewelry. We need jewelry because it brings the joy out in us. We love, the beauty brings joy. Yeah. And we, we want to charge it with our energy. How do you get in the right mindset to work with a stone if you're feeling sad or upset? Do you go for a run or <laughs> swim? You're a swimmer. Um, I'm a, yeah, I, I think sport. As I get older and with the kind of issue we've had, I realize uh, any kind of exercise is really good to, to set yourself in the right frame of mind. And it's so important. Mm -hmm. We have to do it at least three, four times a week. But I would say for me, it's nature. If I, and if I don't have that access to nature, um, I will, I have images. You've never been to my, my mother's house in the country, but we, are, there's a lot of greens and a lot of trees. And I, I, I visualize that place, which for me is a healing place, maybe because it's uh, my father's house and I have an attachment to it. I visualize all the tree and the view. And that changed my frame of mind. I would say flowers also. I always have flowers around me. Uh, I was, um, one time I met someone off, I was saying, you know, when I have a flower bouquet and a TV, I will choose to watch the flowers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you do. I'm sure you do that too. Oh, yeah. Just, you know, I'm I, so obsessed with yes. it. Yes. <laughs> so I think like looking at, looking at beauty, looking at beauty would change my frame of mind. But I have done a, a lot of, uh, uh, I've done, uh, been in India, there, there's definitely a spirituality. And I, I have been to, I've done a meditation called Vipassana. Mm -hmm which is a very powerful uh, meditation. And for a long time, I used to do one hour of meditation. In time of uh, really distress and pain, I would do two hours and it would take my, 
uh, it would take the physical pain away, mm -hmm. which is what's amazing with meditation. It takes your, it takes the physical pain away. Vanessa Friedman from the New York Times described you as the woman who believed stones should be a part of life, as basic as denim, as addictive as silk. Why do you think the idea of stones being a part of everyday life, how did you start to know that? Because it sounds like you didn't get, I mean, Jaipur for sure, but before that, did you have things that were important to you? And did you know that, were they talismans for you? Did you have pieces? I didn't have so much talisman growing up. And I, I always loved the idea of wearing stone, but in a much more casual way. But I think it's uh, from working with my clients that I understood that the stone made them very happy. And I try to, to, to think because it's not so much, you know, I don't work with very valuable things. You know, uh, I, I, I couldn't understand what it was. I mean, I, I think it was a connection, instant connection to nature. Mm -hmm. And the stone is something which is, a. I read somewhere, it's actually the stone that the stars that fell on the earth, mm -hmm. uh, which I thought was so beautiful. Uh, and it's it's the way it is. It's a, it's a reminder of something much bigger than you, much more beautiful than anything around you. Uh, it's an instant connection to something maybe spiritual, I would say. And that's why the woman, especially when they choose a ring uh, and they they often make it into a talisman. It becomes their talisman, their protection. And I, I think it brings them something special, but the, the, the speciality, I mean, it's because it's something which comes from the earth. Ruth said something last night that I thought was so special that she said, it's so incredible to see, we've worked with you. You've been sharing your jewels with us for almost 20 years, I guess, really. Yes, almost 20 years. Yeah. Yes. We had a lot of mothers and daughters last night and um, Ruth was just saying how amazing it is to have shared these things in a family and to know that they will continue in a family these these treasures for for the end of to the end of time. I mean, that that's the beauty of my uh, uh, of working in jewelry is that it has a life beyond us. Yes, and the jewelry is very sentimental, and uh, as you said, you do it's often mother and daughter. You've seen the jewelry on your mother, and you know that maybe well, I mean eventually one day your mother will not be there, <laughs> but the jewelry will remind you of your mother. Yeah. I suppose when women buy jewelry, they, they think of that. They think of, of that it's something that they can give to their children. That I have clients who buy a whole, like, like four or five kids and they buy a set for everyone. So they'll start with a ring and then they buy four rings <laughs> yes. and then buy the earrings and then buy the necklace because they want to make sure that the day they're no longer there, the, the children will all have something and probably the same, yeah. the same thing. So they all share. And that's, uh, that makes it very special. Also, if you think about it, many times it's a gift of love. Maybe sometimes. It starts with the first, uh, usually it's a grandmother giving the 18th present, mm -hmm. then it's a boyfriend buying the first present, <laughs> then it could be the engagement ring, then it is uh, all baptism. the birthdays, baptism, yeah. when the first baby is born, mm -hmm. you know, so it's always related to something. And for the children, when they know this is a ring that my mother received when I was born, it's my ring, you know, it, it makes it special. It so it takes it much more beyond to, uh, from what anything I could create. It's charged with the love of the people who purchase it and who uh, and that's what makes it special too did you have a mentor or someone that um, helped you to understand the power of stones I, I had one mentor which was Lucien Pelafine who mm -hmm. taught me that you only have to uh, in life you should only choose the best never compromise mm -hmm. I think you, you, you probably have the same mentor <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes only the best yes. only no, quality only the, the best and it does, yeah. it's not I don't need it, um, it doesn't have to be expensive it's not it's just yes. if you're buying in quality it has to be the best yeah 
then uh, I suppose I had Nikki Butler from Butler and Wilson who I learned a lot about uh, quality and and design because uh, with costume jewelry you can be much more free than you can with real jewelry. And I would say my last uh, my most important mentor for stone was Mukastliwal. Yeah. Because he had such an understanding about stones, he would look at rough, and he would uh, know how to cut it, and how to take the get the beauty out of it. And he had an immense respect for the stone. So I learned that uh, actually a piece of jewelry is created around a stone. For me, it's very sad when I see a stone which is cut to go inside the setting. Yes. Because I think what's important is to find the stone because that's what's rare because it comes right. from the earth and you can't find it, you know. And then think about how to complement it, yeah. you know, how to make it more beautiful. Okay. So that's how I've always thought of jewelry and that's something I learned uh, with Munu. And, and, and in India, they have a great respect about stone and about jewelry because they always say that uh, the skin sees so the back of the jewelry should be more beautiful because this is what the skin, uh, you know, appreciate. And that, and that's also something very, very special. Did you learn about spinels from Munu? I mean, had you known about them before? Uh, Spinelli uh, is also my favorite. Uh, I remember we, we used to have a lot of dealers coming from Burma. But the Spinelli are often mined in the same places as the Sapphire. And uh, we had people coming from Burma and they would actually come with the Spinelli to Jaipur and swap them for diamonds. Wow. Yeah, because in, there's no diamond in Burma, so they would do ah. the, the, the trend. And Munu was fascinated by this stone because of the different colors yeah. and the way the, I always love the luster of the spinel. The way it shines is very, very special. And uh, he would buy whatever he could. So he must have had at one point the best collection of spinel. At the time, I didn't have a, you know, I was just only, you know, I was, I was just starting, so yeah. I didn't buy enough and I really regret not <laughs> buying more, especially had the most beautiful poppy red, which is my oh. favorite color of spinel. We had them, um, but he, he also was someone who was very mischievous. <laughs> and we had someone coming in one day and said, you know, I've heard about this very special storm. Uh, it's a spinel. Would you happen to have one? And Munu had been buying all the spinels. So, <laughs> and in India, because they're so used to working with uh, stones, they, they're not so precious about yeah. it. So he had next to him a, a huge plastic a carrier bag <laughs> full of spinels. So he put the bag like this and he emptied it on the table. <laughs> and there must have been like 6,000 carats, a pile, a little mountain <laughs> of spin multicolored spinel. And I thought the guy was going to faint. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we were laughing so much because, you know, but um, so that was, that's how I got introduced to Spinel. But it's from wearing it that you understand the beauty yeah. of it. And it's exhausted. I mean, there are no more or is it? There are more. There are, there more. are more and there are some coming from Vietnam also, which have now I think the most expensive sp uh, Spinel, it's a kind of a cobalt blue. You probably have, I could show you if you come to Paris, but the prices are crazy. Yeah. And what's difficult is to find, for me, it's like the pop, the red, you yeah. know. I, I'm not a great lover of ruby. I much prefer the, the, the red. Of, the, the ruby feels sort of dead. Like it's yeah. not, it doesn't have a lot of light to it to me. But and, when you see, we talked about before, I think the crown jewels, the English crown jewels, that that. It's a spinel. It's a spinel. It's a spinel. I much prefer the, the color of the red spinel. That's what I've been collecting, actually. If, I, if you ask me, uh, uh, of course, I love tourmaline because uh, there's so many different colors and I love what's inside the tourmaline. But the stone that I have kept for myself is always the red spinel. Really? I'm always fascinated. Maybe because it's so 
I mean, red appeals to me. It's a color which gives me energy. It's a color that I will wear if I'm tired. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will, or if I come back from a trip and I will always put red. I know it's, uh, you know, it's instant uh, yeah, lift of uh, energy. <laughs> Actually, after having my child, after having and more, I had my period where I would be only wearing red. Really? Because, yeah, <laughs> a small child takes a lot of energy. Yeah. Do different colors of spinel give different energies, or is spinel as a? I don't even know how you would say just as a as an object. Does it have a certain power? Like, or is a blue spinel a different power than a red spinel? I think so. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if the, okay, there is a power of the stone and there's also, I think, the power of the color. So all the stone in the palette of blue are very, are more soothing. Mm-hmm. Red is something that gives you energy, but for, uh, but the ruby, for example, which is a stone with a lot of energy, it's not good for people who are too strong. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. You have to be careful with the, with yeah. the energy of, of the stone. So uh, spinel has the most beautiful lavender color. Yes. Like uh, you, you see today I'm wearing a lavender spinel, mm-hmm. which I love. It's oh. like it's a pink lavender. Mm-hmm. And that's so gentle, so soft. It's almost like Ayurvedic in that hot personality shouldn't have hot food. Yes. It's too much of the same thing that you need to cool yourself. <gasps> There was one point where I, I uh, like diamond is a stone with a very strong energy. It gives you power. Uh, for a long time, it was more like uh, in a royal French family with the, the kings who were, and the royal family who were allowed to wear diamond. And if you imagine, uh, I understood one time where there was a power cut and had like a diamond brioche necklace on and it was all candlelit. If you see the way it shimmers at night, you can see that it can transform a human being into half god. That's why they're also <laughs> in India, they really used it. You know, the way they dress up. Imagine when they put the baraja, they yes, put all oh the diamonds. Yeah. And uh, I mean, they had to be rulers, you know, and the diamond, the way they shine, either the sunshine or a candlelit. So that gives you power. Yeah. And I had one point, at one point I used to wear diamond a long time back. I can never wear diamond. It's not what I need. Yeah. You know, it's not a, uh, maybe at one, one point I needed this uh, to be more assertive in my business and I needed the power of the diamond, mm-hmm. but now I shy away from it. It's not, a, it's not my mood. I'm much more, okay, wearing, uh, sapphire is a stone for success. Huh. Sapphire is one of the stones I love too. Again, very delicate palette. It comes from the same mind as a, a spinel. Uh-huh. Lots of beautiful colors uh-huh. and it's very gentle, I find. And it's a stone that, um, Traditionally, is the engagement ring in Europe because it uh, helps you being faithful, which faithful, is good in right? a marriage. Yes, yes, yes <laughs> that helps the marriage a lot. <laughs> but also, it's good; uh, it uh, binds people together. Huh. I love for emerald. Emerald is the stone. Okay, it's a fragile stone, as we know. People are always worried uh, about wearing emerald, but it, if it's given by someone who loves you, it's enhanced love. Mm-hmm. So I think that's quite beautiful too. That. Yeah. We talk a little bit about paraba. Ah, Paraiba. Paraiba <laughs> is one of my favorite stones. Oh. Uh, and you have the most beautiful collection. Uh, you yes. find the best. <laughs> I, I've been collecting for a long time Paraiba. Yeah. I was fascinated. The first one I saw was in Tucson, I think in 96 or 97. And it it was coming for the, from the Paraiba mine in Brazil. And it's a color which can go from a swimming pool blue, which is supposed to be the best color. Mm-hmm. But it's too electric for me. It's too, you know, it's the wrong shade of turquoise. You know what I mean about the yes, wrong shade of yeah. turquoise? And it can go towards more of a greeny blue, which is like a lagoon or the, the south, the, the, the sea from the, mm-hmm. so it's, it's so beautiful. It has a lot of copper in the stone, which it's uh, what defines the paribas is the, con- the copper contents. Mm-hmm. And the copper makes it uh, very iridescent, very shiny. And it's a really, really beautiful stone. 
And when you talk a little bit about inclusions, it's it, they're copper. Are they copper inclusions? I guess. And what what is an inclusion? An inclusion. So if you call it an inclusion, people think, oh my god, it's not a good stone. <laughs> but in fact, in the tourmaline, especially the paraiba, it's uh, it's uh, the the way the light reflects uh, or hits the inclusion and. and comes out again for me they're like a little sequence or a little yeah. sometimes i see a rainbow for me it's the most beautiful thing yeah. but when you choose a stone and i think what's important first is that the stone has life mm -hmm. that's what we say in the business you have to pick a stone that's alive that speaks to you you exactly the world is like you should choose stone choose a stone that speaks to you but when you have an inclusion which I think many times it makes a stone much more attractive mm -hmm. than a stone which is completely uh, uh, clean because that could look like a piece of glass. Many times I see stone, like very expensive stone, they have no charm. Yeah. You know, the beauty is that inclusion. It's mm -hmm. a charm that it gives it. You have to make sure that the, the, the inclusion does not disturb you. So it's not, you know, if you have an inclusion right in the center of the table, this is not something you should actually even consider. So, so some inclusion are very attractive and really adds to the stone and some inclusion just, uh, you know, uh, uh, makes it like, you know, you don't want to, to, to go there. It's not attractive. And talk to me about the process of choosing stones. I mean, do you just get a feeling in your body of what? <laughs> so choosing stone, I get a feeling, the first feeling I get uh, when the stone dealer come, traditionally they still use a little paper envelope. Yeah. So you don't know what's going to come. So I get excited <laughs> like a, a kid in a candy store because <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to find. Yeah. And it's a constant process of a treasure hunt, which is uh, what makes it really exciting because I don't know what's been coming out of the earth. I, I don't know what I'm going to find. And all those packets are white and I don't know what's in them. So my heart starts beating faster for sure. <laughs> and then well, you, the, you open the packets and you, you will see. And, some, and many stones are not, I mean, you, you, they're not all beautiful. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly you see some that speak to you and that seem to be magical and alive and, and are special. But to tell you why, I, I don't know. But uh, people always say that my stones are very vibrant. Mm -hmm. So I suppose I like, uh, you know, I like when they're very uh, alive. It's something that Munu taught me. Um, it was interesting uh, uh, when I started, not many people were using tourmaline. And I, I used a lot of multicolored tourmaline yeah, when I started. And he always explained to me, it's better to get the best quality tourmaline than a, a poor quality sapphire. Ah. Because you, what's important is the way it's alive, the way it's yeah. uh, the luster, the way it shines, the way it, it reacts on your skin. And that is something that uh, maybe not many uh classic jeweler would say because say western yeah. yeah did it take a while for you to unwind your thinking about you know sapphires emeralds rubies instead of tourmalines so i think my greatest asset is that i didn't come from a family of jeweler yeah so i didn't have that yeah. i just uh, looks uh, i look at the stone because they were beautiful i didn't think okay a sapphire is more beautiful than a, a, a spinel or a tourmaline i just chose what i love and i i didn't mind mixing it you know i've mixed precious and semi-precious and not yeah. worried about it and i've always uh, you know uh, respected what munu said you have to choose the best of the stone, it doesn't matter if it's a sapphire, an emerald, or a ruby, or, or semi-precious. Mm -hmm. and, and I would recommend anyone who buys a stone, they should do that. If you get a blue sapphire, which is too dark, which is dead, and it's your engagement ring, it, it's not never going to make you happy. You need yeah, to buy a... Something. It's better to buy something, you know, less precious, but which is more uh, uh, happier, more vibrant. Yeah.
my sister just got engaged and it's green tourmalines it's this the most beautiful bright happy and it really does feel like that it feels like this promise for the rest of your life that's why uh, I, I feel the, uh, the the clients they really cherish their rings because you can see it. I always tell uh, the client if they don't know if they should choose earrings or rings, uh, rings and bracelet is will give you the most pleasure. But because you will look at the stone all the time, yeah, you know, and suddenly the light will hit it, and you will suddenly think, "Oh my God, this is so beautiful." And when you wear earrings, it's very decorative. It brings light to the face. Necklace it will bring it. It has an instant cosmetic effect, mm. but it's for the pleasure of others. Yeah, uh, when you wear rings, it's really for your own pleasure. I love that. Yeah. And maybe engagement, maybe that's why it's an engagement ring. Also, yeah. the, the finger where you put your engagement ring on is uh, directly related to the, your heart, yes. you know, the meridian of the heart. Yes. So that's probably why traditionally that's where oh. we put it on this finger. Oh, I love that. Yeah. What stones do you love to wear for protection? Protection, the, the stone that protects you the most is a lapis. Mm. It's a blue lapis. It's a, it was used by the Egyptian. Yeah. And uh, it's I don't know it's the color and the energy of the stone, and it says that only a pure heart can wear a lapis. Ooh. And it's very interesting because a lot of people shy away from lapis. Yes, yeah, they do. Yeah, and for, and for me, lapis is something which I, you know, it has those little freckles of gold inside. It's so beautiful, <laughs> and sometimes it has black freckles, and it makes me think of the, the 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 sky at night with all the stars. It's it has something really magical. It's an opaque stone, mm -hmm. and generally I tend to go more for a clear stone with uh, inclusion and you know more things going on inside. But lapis is the one I would recommend for protection. And you cut yours. I mean, you 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 cut them like a classic stone. It's yeah. so beautiful. I love a cut stone. Yeah. yeah so I, I, I cut even a, I, normally you cut a stone because you want to add light to it. Mm. But I love to cut a, 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 even a lapis. It it gives it something else, all the facets. It you know it makes it more more special. I I find. Yeah, I'm a breast cancer survivor, and when I was recovering, I would not take my necklace off that you made me almost 20 years ago, really. Yeah. With and and I always love the stones to touch my skin, and it goes straight down to near the breast. <laughs> but I but I always it was really important to me at that time. Is there a stone for healing that you love? The healing stone. I'm a breast cancer survivor too, yeah. and um, uh, I would say that uh, we learn a lot from uh, you know what we go through, and yeah. it makes it well, it makes us stronger and yeah. wiser. Yeah. Uh, I learned a lot from you. <gasps> I mean, it was interesting because you were a couple of years ahead of me, but I really learned a lot from you and I, because I'd grown up with it in my life, just your strength and dignity. I, I think the breast cancer that we, we go through, or we've been through, is like a metamorphosis. I, I felt like I was, um, how would you say now, uh, before the butterfly, chrysalide, what mm -hmm. do you say yeah, in English? Chrysalis. And it made me glow, uh, grow into a butterfly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I used, always used to have my long hair and I had to cut my hair off. Yeah. Um, I, I was, uh, you know, I, I was quite busty. And the, the, the breast cancer touched your femininity, you know, yeah. and that's why it's so difficult. But the surgeon explained to me that uh, a surgeon related to my family, she said, you know, you, you should not worry about it because it's not dangerous because it's outside your ribs. Huh. It's not uh, internal organs. <laughs> so already, you know, because w when we get operated, we have this fear that something is going to go very wrong. But in fact, uh, when you think about it, the, the, the breast is decorative. Mm. 
you know <laughs> yes it is it is uh, once we've had our children okay yes, b- before yeah. the children it has a purpose but after the children it's decorative and and you know it doesn't define us and um so anyway so I, I, it's a process and and i think this process makes us stronger and more more beautiful and and it's in suffering that actually we relate more to people and uh, you know i learned a lot and i never think about it these days um you know i'm just different yeah. no it's, i feel the same okay. way until i just started talking to you <laughs> The stone and the color I recommend for anyone who's going through uh, this transformation, this illness, is a green tourmaline. Oh. Green tourmaline is a healing stone, so paribas is probably a healing stone too. <laughs> Any green, because it comes, it's a color of nature and it's a color of renewal. I love in spring, like when you see all the shades of green in the countryside, I think that's a healing. And that's what we should see. And, and I, I feel hospitals should always have windows onto trees. And yeah. that's what helps us heal. It's uh, this thing that, uh, you know, when you look at nature, it goes completely dry in winter and it's dark and black and, and suddenly it blooms again. Yeah. And it's what we need to believe when we think that we, we're going to bloom again. Yeah. We have the strength and we can make ourselves bloom again. You know, one thing that's really interesting too, from knowing you for so long, I was attracted to such a different stone when I first met you and and as i've and and you're right like as as your life twists and turns you become a different person and i think i do think i'm attracted to completely different stones than i ever was before so it's a very interesting process and when people ask me should i wear my stone my astrological stone and and i feel okay maybe it's good when you were born but we all, we evolve all the time. And we should trust our intuition when we choose things, when we choose color, when we choose stone. Because when I have the time and I know the person well and their, their, their situation at that moment, I find that the stone they choose is always the right stone for them. I mean, the property of the stone is always the right the stone time. for the emotional state. Yeah. So I totally understand that, you know, we are attracted, uh, as I was telling you about the diamond that I used to wear, yeah. well, maybe uh, my business started and I had to be stronger. <laughs> uh, we, we need different things at different time and we shouldn't uh, be set in our own way and we should trust our instinct yeah. and we should definitely trust our instinct when we are buying stone uh, I'm always amazed when I see young uh, young girls they 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 wear to I mean they always choose rose quartz and rose quartz is a stone that not only gives you confidence which we all need at 16 17 18 because it's actually a very difficult time but it also if you had a difficult childhood and you know childhood is not always easy it helps you heal your childhood hmm. And, but they don't know that, and they pick. Uh, uh, they will pick a, a rose quartz. Wow. A pregnant woman, many times, uh, ladies who want to get pregnant, they will pick flower pearl. Flower pearl is related to your hormonal system, and it's related to the the base chakra, and it helps you getting pregnant. Mm. So I'm not saying it, it works, but you know, I also really believe in the placebo effect, but I've seen it happening. But I've seen people choosing without telling me anything about it. It's only when I know about it mm. a little. And it's fascinating. People who, uh, who go through depression will choose a, a smoky quartz. You know, it's like mm. a, this brown quartz. Mm-hmm. It's his depression. Really? Yeah. Amethyst. I've seen people who are trying amethyst necklaces on. And the amethyst, I mean, this one, I really started believing in the power of the stone and thinking there's something much more that I could not explain, but that would see. They would put amethyst necklace on and the amethyst would go uh, hot. (laughs) 
and I tried the same necklace and on me there was no reaction. But the, to a point where they could not wear it, but it was boiling hot. Uh, uh, amethyst is a stone which is, uh, which was always worn by the church, uh, the cardinal, mm -hmm. because it helps you from getting any kind of intoxication and it helps you from having strong desires. Mm. And it protects you. The name comes from the, uh, from the Greek and it's uh, the color of the wine. Mm. And it really helps you when, uh, with addiction with alcohol. And I felt the people who had tried the necklaces on and it got hot were people who had uh, issues with alcohol. Yeah. And it was like taking something away from them. Huh. It was incredible. That's I mean, amazing. You know, uh, if I had not experienced it myself, I would, I, I didn't, you know, I would not believe it. I've had the necklace in my hand. It was boiling hot. You could not wear it. People who had like a, you know, uh, problems with alcohol had probably all their energy, their vital energy, you know, the energy of the chi. Uh, and then when they went to the acupuncture, then the acupuncture, you know, uh, kind of did something to so the energy flowed again. But the amethyst was taking that energy, was helping them out. Wow. So, so. In life, trust your instinct. You know, listen to that little voice before the storm buying, before not taking that flight, or before you know. <laughs> what's complicated is you have to to know when it's a vo when it's a voice, <laughs> and then when it's your mind. We always ask about prom and we've already talked to you, but is there a stone that you love more than anything in your life? So I always think, what would I do if my house was on fire? What <laughs> would I take? And I think I would take, or I would try to grab, grab my jewelry pouch. Yeah. I suppose which stone, I have a stone which I don't wear very often, which is a pink sapphire, which has no setting. I love when the stone is not set. Mm -hmm. I think that's the purest way to wear a stone and it's the most beautiful way, but we have to drill it. Right. So when you're drilling it, uh, it has to, the inclusion has to be in a certain way so it doesn't show. Yeah. And I would be, if the stone is too um, incredible, too pure, I would feel like I can't do that to the stone. Mm -hmm. But the stone I would love the most, it's a very delicate uh, pink, which is uh, the color of, uh, I call it candy pink, but it's a bit of uh, the color of the bubble gum. Mm -hmm. And it's a sapphire, and I believe it uh, It brings me luck. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that stone, but it's fragile, so, uh, and I've fallen one time wearing it, so I'm worried to wear it all the time. Yeah. That, that would be the one thing that I cherish the most. Thank you so much. What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com.